This morning we're going to be talking about God's favorite doctrine. I hope it's your favorite doctrine. If it's not already, I hope it is by the time you leave. God's favorite doctrine is the sovereignty of God. By sovereignty of God, I mean the godness of God. By godness of God, I mean the sovereignty of God. The reason we're going to talk about this this morning is because it's always good to be reminded that God and God alone is God. And so we should expect Him to act like God and we should treat Him as if He is God. We're going to talk about it this morning because we so frequently and easily forget that God and God alone is sovereign. In other words, that God and God alone is God. We're also talking about it this morning because I've been encouraged by one of my fellow pastors here to talk about the sovereignty of God. Because in talking about the sovereignty of God, it helps the people of God to rest in God's power and promises. In fact, Habakkuk 3.19 says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. So it doesn't get more practical than the sovereignty of God. If the sovereign Lord is my strength, what we have is great, grand, extraordinary theological truth. The sovereign Lord applied to our lives is my strength in a way that nothing else can. And so, this morning, I think what we'll probably do is have this be a super long introduction to a short sermon in Habakkuk, which we won't get to today, but Habakkuk is all about the sovereignty of God, and even uncovering a lot of its mysteries as it would relate to the people of God's suffering. But what a great place to start. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Webster tells us that sovereignty means supreme excellence supreme power, and freedom from external control. I think that's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Supreme excellence, supreme power, freedom from external control. But maybe to be more theologically specific in a Christian way, with reference to God, it means that God is the supreme ruler and authority, and He ordains whatever comes to pass. And that His divine purpose is always accomplished. The sovereignty of God is what we're talking about. Or as some Christians say, the sovereignty of God. Which sounds so strange to my ears. If that's how you say it, may the Lord bless you. Because I'm going to imitate you today because I like almost the way it sounds strange because it catches my attention. The sovereignty of God. We're talking about the godness of God. We're talking about the fact that He is the King. He is the Sovereign. If you were to meet royalty, one appropriate way to address royalty throughout the ages has been, yes, my Sovereign. Yes, my King. Yes, my Queen. It means if God is Sovereign, He is the ultimate Sovereign. He's the ultimate King above all else. What I'd like to do now is draw your attention to a whole barrage of texts. Uh, we're going to look at numerous texts. What we're going to do is um, look at 
Look at the forest, 30,000 foot view. Uh, if you're one of those people that gets nervous when you don't have a Bible open in church, I'm with you. I'm nervous when you don't have a Bible open. You could turn to the Psalms because it's easy to find. It's in the very middle uh, if you're using a paper uh, Bible. Uh, so we will look, we'll look at the Psalms, but we'll look at Job and we'll look at Amos and we'll look at all sort of Matthew 5 and Matthew 10. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different passages. If you're new to the Bible, you don't need to try to look them all up. If you're not new to the Bible, you don't need to try to look them all up unless you want to have a contest. Uh, We can do like we used to do with children's programs and we're going to do a sword drill. Ready? And we'll have awards and everything. And No, we won't actually. But the idea is I want to give us a big picture of the fact that the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, that he and he alone is God, that he's in charge, he's in control, he has all the power to do so, that his purposes always are fulfilled. A good, big, healthy dose of the sovereignty of God. If you start hearing passages and you get uncomfortable, I think you came to the right place. Okay? If you're comforted, I think you came to the right place. Typically what happens is we first hear about the sovereignty of God and we're troubled. Okay? We're uncomfortable. Even in church, the sovereignty of God is not emphasized very much, which seems so strange. And so if you're troubled, it's okay. But I hope by God's grace you move from being uncomfortable to being comforted because Christians should be comforted by the reality that God is God, God is all-powerful, God keeps His promises, and nothing can stop Him from keeping His promises. So I hope you're ready for the 30,000-foot overview, rapid barrage fire. Where would you start if you were me? Well, if you were me, I hope you'd start in Genesis 1-1 because that's where I'm going to start because it's pretty obvious. So if we start there, let's talk about sovereignty of God in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. And we already have sovereignty, okay? We already have, before anything else, there's God. In the beginning, before creation, before you, before me, before anything else, we have God. And then we also have sovereignty because it moves on to say, God created And if God created all things that are, all things that are belong to Him. And therefore, He is, another important word when it comes to sovereignty, He is free to do whatever He wants to do with that which is His. He can do whatever He wants. And it will be God-like because He and He alone is God. And thus we start getting uncomfortable before we're comforted, comforted. He's not like us. He can't be tamed. He can't be domesticated. He can't be managed. He's not like us. He's different, which, by the way, is why we worship him. Some of the things we're going to hear, if I were to say them about myself, you would think that guy is an egomaniac. You might say, if you're a little more thoughtful, that guy has a God complex. That would be right thinking. It would be wrong for me to have a God complex if I'm not God. But if God himself has a God complex, that's God acting like God. And it would be wrong for God to act anything other than to act like God. Let's go with a whole bunch of texts. Job chapter 42, Psalm 103, Psalm 115, Psalm 135, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 46, Isaiah 55. I sound like a quarterback. Job Excuse me, we, we just looked at Genesis 1-1, Job 42-2. Two. 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted or stopped. That could be the end of every text. That could just summarize the whole thing. I know that you can do all things. Well, that's sovereignty, all power, it's assumed. And no purpose of yours can be stopped. Notice the link. I have purposes in my life. I want to do certain things today. But certain things might happen to me that keep me from doing the things I purpose to do today. God has all power, so nothing can stop him from doing the things that he purposes to do. And that's pretty amazing. Sovereignty of God. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom, New American Standard translates it, sovereignty rules over all. Notice his throne isn't here where there are sovereigns, lowercase s, kings and queens. They have kingdoms. But the psalmist praises God, worships God, because his throne is not on earth. His throne is in the heavens. It's above all the other sovereigns, above all the other thrones. And so therefore, his kingdom, his sovereignty rules over all. And I want to remind you of something really good. The psalms are worship songs. The psalmist is praising God, worshiping God, because He knows that God is not like the rulers of this earth. He is worthy of praise and worship. So I hope you move from, if need be, uncomfortable to comfortable in the right sense, in a worshipful sense. But worship isn't always comfortable. Another text that's important when it comes to the sovereignty of God, Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's an amazing declaration. Praising God. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And think about the gods of the nations who would have opposed the people of God at the time. You're God. You just have one God. We've got countless gods. We have so many gods. You only have one God. Certainly our many gods. Our religion is better than your religion. We have many of them. But the psalmist picks that up. You know what? Our one God, not like your many gods that you made and bowed down and worshiped the very things that you made. And by the way, they don't do anything, you idiots. Right? They don't do anything. You made them. Our God is one, yes, unlike all the others, in the heavens, and He does. He does things. In fact, he not only does things, he doesn't do what we make him do like little chess pieces with our idols. He does whatever he pleases. Shock. He's not one we made with our own human hands. He's different. He's sovereign. I love Psalm 115 verse 3 for the shocker that it is. And they worship him for it. One helpful book on God and his freedom, a book called All That Is In God, that's written here recently, says this about our text. Psalm 115.3 emphasizes the independence of divine power. For God to be sovereign, he's independent. He's free. He does whatever he wants to do. 
He's not compelled to have to do anything, which is what troubles some of us. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, what do you think the next two words are going to be? He does. (laughs) Again, Pat says that, Pat's an egomaniac. Pat has a Messiah complex, a God complex. Whatever the Lord wants to do, he does because he's the Lord. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, the point being everywhere. Nothing is outside of his domain and he does whatever he wants to do. Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord of hosts. That's a word for armies, for, 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 for warriors, the Lord of hosts. So he, it's going to talk about his power and he does whatever he wants to do because he's not some king with no backing. He's not some king with no power. He's the Lord of hosts. Using the imagery, he's got all kinds of power so he can do whatever he wants to do. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of power has sworn as I have planned. I bet you could finish the next four words. So shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. I'm glad you all are seated for this. Though we maybe should be on our faces for this. Isaiah 14 verse 27 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will know it? Who will undo the purposes of God? Implied answer is no one. His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Implied answer is no one. He and he alone is the Lord. Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. That's a sovereignty statement. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and the from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and i will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country i have spoken and i will bring it to pass i have purposed and i will do it you see why i said it might make you uncomfortable but I hope it moves you to the place of trusting in this God and finding comfort in Him. Isaiah 55, one more Isaiah text, at least for now. Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word, this is verse 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my youth. It shall not return to me empty. But the verse isn't over yet. I I was encouraged as a brand new Christian to memorize Scripture. I'm thankful for that. And maybe I memorized the whole thing. I don't remember. But all I remembered and all I took home with me and all I really absorbed is the first part. And it's really good. But he goes on to say something else about the sovereignty of God. Maybe, maybe just as a, as a son of Adam, I skipped the rest. And it, it, as an immature Christian, I didn't want to hear the rest. I don't know. But listen to what it says. It's really great. But it shall, excuse me, it goes on to say, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word shall succeed. Whatever God wants to do, He does. I find it kind of strange that this isn't talked about in church. But many a pastor has no longer had a pastorate. 
because he has emphasized the sovereignty of God only to find it be his last sermon. I'm trusting in the sovereignty of God to preach a sovereignty of God sermon that maybe I'll get to keep my pastorate. But if I don't, you can tell me you should trust in the sovereignty of God is what you should tell me. Reminds me of a young UCLA student years and years ago teaching, and I was teaching about these kinds of basic things, basic things. And she's in tears. I've shared the story before with some of you. She's in tears and, and what's wrong? My wife and I were concerned. What's wrong? You're distorting my view of God. And we offered as much comfort and care as we could, but in our heart of hearts, we were saying, praise God. Let's move from being idolaters, which we all naturally are, and oftentimes, sadly, the church doesn't help, to seeing and being shocked by the God who cannot be controlled, cannot be managed, is not under our thumb, cannot be domesticated. He and He alone is God, and His purposes, no matter what, absolutely, most certainly, are unstoppable. So we worship Him. We worship Him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 is another great text. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and then we'll move on from there. So, so far we've defined the sovereignty of God, and now we're seeing it defended just by a, a flyover, by a 30,000-foot view. 1 Timothy six fifteen is really helpful when it comes to this in the New Testament. It says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign. And I just want to rudely interrupt for a moment. The Apostle Paul, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. Is that true? Well, of course it's true. I have to say that lest I lose my pastorate. (laughs) But hear me out for a moment, okay? It's not true in a certain sense. Paul Paul is going to, he's praising God, blessed and the only sovereign. Paul knows full well there are other sovereigns. There are other kings and queens and rulers living during his time and who have lived throughout the ages. There have been all kinds of kings. Nebuchadnezzar, the list can go on and on and on. Those ruling in Rome, Caesar at the time. There are many sovereigns. It sort of reminds me of Psalm 51 and David says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. That's not true. David sinned against all kinds of people. But ultimately he sinned against God because God matters most. And so when Paul says, blessed are you, the the, the only sovereign, what's he mean? The capital S sovereign, right? The king who's over all other kings, over all other royalty, the only true ultimate sovereign is what he means. And it's great and awesome and amazing what he means. There's only one true ultimate sovereign who's sovereign over all other sovereigns. Which is why he goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, the king of kings. See, he himself is acknowledging there are other kings. But he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Which is a theme throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. Something we like to sing about. I'm just going to encourage you, whenever you think of king of kings and lord of lords, think of this context. Sovereign. The one and only who's above all the others. The one who is free to do whatever he wants to do. And who always accomplishes his purposes. 
the one who is different from all the others, King of kings and Lord of lords in that right sense, the only sovereign. It's wonderful. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. And then he says, to him be honor and eternal dominion or sovereignty. Amen. And I know enough of you well enough to know that you are willing to say with the Apostle Paul, I agree. I'm with you. In other words, amen. I agree with what you're saying. Because that's what Christians agree to. But I would venture to guess some of you are still not in the amen mode. You're in the one eyebrow cocked mode even if you're keeping it to yourself. I think you came to the right place. But text after text after text after text after text would affirm that Christianity affirms the sovereignty of God. And we do so unashamedly, unabashedly. In fact, it causes us to worship. And it causes us, as we're going to see, comfort. And it causes us to want to be devoted to this one true sovereign. not going to get to it today. We'll look at it at a later time when we talk about Christians who believe this throughout history. And it is important. Most important is what Scripture says. But the reason I initially compelled a list of people who believe this is because one time, a number of years ago, I told some of you the story before, I was invited to speak at a Christian school. And I spoke uh, about God being a comforting God in the midst of suffering. And I emphasized His sovereignty. And that created so much turmoil at the Christian school uh, that I was invited to come and speak to the high schoolers in their Bible class um, to, to present my view. And it was labeled a certain kind of view. I just gave them Bible texts. So I went and presented my view. Uh, and I'm thankful that the teacher invited me to do that. Uh, and here are the kinds of things I heard from students. Um, did you come up with this on your own? Or did you get it from someone else? kid you not because we don't talk about the sovereignty of God in church these are kids that grew up in Christian evangelical homes I mentioned this story in the other services and Andrew Meyer who leads our high school ministry said I don't know if you remember this or not Pat I wasn't one of those students but my younger brother was in the class and he came home and told my mom and dad we need to go to Omaha Bible Church <laughs> so not everyone was thinking that way in the class but how bizarre is it that kids growing up in school now they're in high school and they hear the text we've just looked at and how it's good and they think and ask the, 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 the guy named Pat Abendroth are you just making this stuff up? I can't convert anybody. I can't convert my own children. But let's at least know the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God. And God and God alone is God and God acts like God. And Christians believe that God is God and God acts like God and God is all-powerful and God is free. He's not under our thumb. It is a Christian doctrine, the godness of God. Now, here's what I'd like to do next. So we've seen it um, defined, the sovereignty of God. We've seen it defended. Um, 
really an overview, but I'm using all D's here so I could sound like a Baptist, at least for my first three points. So we've seen it defined and defended. Now what I would like to do is see it demonstrated, see it demonstrated. And we're going to look at the demonstration of the sovereignty of God in 10 areas, 10 areas where the sovereignty of God is demonstrated. And lest you get super nervous about your lunch plans, we're just going to do the first three this morning. Okay. So we'll do the first three, uh, and then we'll look at the other ones in the days ahead. So where, where do we see this as we look closer at the Bible? Where do we see the sovereignty of God demonstrated? And the first area where we see the sovereignty of God demonstrated is in the physical world. In the physical world. Then secondly, we're going to see the sovereignty of God demonstrated in the angelic realm. In the angelic realm. The third area where we're going to see the sovereignty of God demonstrated is in the animal realm. And then we'll move on from there in the days ahead. Now, I'll go ahead and give them all to you now. You don't need to jot them down. Number four, in national affairs. Number five, in human affairs. Number six, in coincidental happenings. Number seven, in his care for his children. Number eight, in sinful human acts. Number nine, in salvation. And number 10, in spiritual growth with his children. And if you have questions about these things already, me too. And we'll talk about questions as well. Once we're, we wrap this whole thing up, if you have questions you want to ask me, you can certainly do that. I'll try to include an answer to your question or not, depending on what you want. But there are all kinds of questions this raises. If God is absolutely, totally, strictly, most assuredly free and sovereign, what about all kinds of questions? All kinds of questions. And some of my best answers will be, I don't know. I don't know. That's why some of the best Christian thinkers throughout the ages who believe the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation, who are serious-minded, thoughtful Christians who don't want to give up easily, have said, that's a mystery. We know it's true, but we don't know exactly how it works with other things. Okay, I hope you're ready for these three demonstrations of God's sovereignty. First of all, in the physical world, we'll look at Jeremiah 32, Job 36, Matthew 5, Amos 3, Amos 4, Acts 14, Isaiah 40. Did you get all those? Probably not. That's okay. How about in the physical world, God's sovereignty is demonstrated. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, as in impressed, as in awe. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. It doesn't end there, but that's great enough. You're the one who made it. You're the powerful one. You're the extraordinary one. It's a declaration of sovereignty, but I do love the way the verse ends. Listen to this. This is good deduction. Nothing is too hard for you. Yeah. How is it that nothing is too hard for him? Because God is sovereign. And if God can create by the word of his power, nothing's too hard for him. I would venture to say nothing is hard for him because he does so by the word of his power. Job chapter 36, verse 32, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. God commands the lightning to strike the mark. See, now we're getting into the area of providence, which relates to sovereignty. Christians used to, as they used to talk about sovereignty in church, shocker, I know, 
They used to talk about providence a lot as well because these are, these are complementary doctrines, complementary teachings. God's providence where God provides. He provides not only for His children, He provides for anything and everyone and everyone under the sun in a certain sense, according to His common grace, for His own in a certain special sense. But nothing happens apart from God's control. In other words, if you believe in providence, you're not a deist. Uh, You're not like some of our founding fathers. God winds up the clock as they used to do and walks away. Whatever happens, happens. No, God is not that kind of God. God is even in charge of the otherwise seemingly random acts, including the lightning. Providence. It's not miraculous. Miracles, by definition, are miraculous. (laughs) They're extraordinary. Providence would be dealing with things that are ordinary things that happen that we might be able to explain through other means. But the Bible says there's a sovereign God behind all of it. All of it. Matthew 5, verse 45. Familiar words from Jesus. How about this? For He, God, makes His sun rise. So we have it on good authority, the one who would be raised from the dead. He, God, makes His sun rise. He's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. It's not just the sun, it's His sun. And who's in charge of the solar system? It's Him, it's God. Jesus affirms the sovereignty of God on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the reason Jesus is teaching that is because he's saying you should imitate your father. Uh, If you belong to him as a believer, you should be kind to believers, but also kind to unbelievers because God, according to his common grace, is kind to believers and unbelievers. But that's not what we're emphasizing today. We're seeing the thing behind the thing. And the thing behind the thing is God is sovereign. It's his son, S-U-N. How about Amos chapter 3, verse 6? Glad you're seated for this one. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Probably using the image there because there's going to be war, right? It's a warning. So of course you're afraid. But then listen to what it goes on to say. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? What's the implied answer? It would only happen unless the Lord is sovereignly behind it because, as one of my favorite old Bible teachers would say who's in heaven now, there's not one stray molecule. If there is, then God isn't sovereign and the whole thing is lies. That, Amos 3.6 is, is something we, we might want to get our... <laughs> ourselves up to speed on Christian worldview if a calamity happens sinful agents are responsible absolutely sinful human beings are culpable absolutely and how does it all begin and end and all the details we might talk about that during questions but let's make sure that we understand we have it on good authority inspired scripture It didn't happen because of happenstance. 
Amos 4, 7 says, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. I did that. We could explain what happened through ordinary explanations. And those are good things to do. But if we're Christians and we're explaining through ordinary explanations, we step back and say, and God is behind it all somehow, even in ways I don't understand, but he definitely is. Unless we think that was just because in the Old Testament they didn't really understand things because they were dumb in the Old Testament. You don't know a lot about ancient history if that's what you conclude. But anyway, uh, let's go to the New Testament where they were really smart. Acts 14, verse 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God gave you the rains. God satisfied. He's sovereign. And then one more. Isaiah 40, verse 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust, bigger little, the dust, tiny particles of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains, bigger little, obvious answer, big in scales in the hills in a balance. You see the point. This God understands and, 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 and understands the intricacies of the dust. He also, the grandeur of the mountain, so as small as you can imagine and as large as you can imagine, He knows. He knows. Now let's move on to a second demonstration of the sovereignty of God or the sovereignty of God number two in the angelic realm. And we're going to look at Job chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1. And then we'll move on to the third and wrap things up. But now in the angelic realm, you know the account, even if you don't know, it's in Job chapter 2. It's with Job and Satan, a fallen angel. And God is sovereign over angels. He's sovereign over fallen angels. And here's the account. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God in his sovereignty is offering the godliest person around to be tested. But that's not really our point for now. Who fears God and turns away from evil, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. What's interesting there is, the sovereign hands over his best to a sovereign. Do whatever you want to do. With limit, Spares life. It's no wonder Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. A way of affirming the sovereignty of God and God even using demonic bad actors who will be accountable for their actions for his glory and ultimately for the good of his children. Fascinatingly enough. But make no mistake about it, Satan and God aren't peers. 
They might be opposed to each other, but Satan is under his sovereignty. And then one other text before we move on to the last um, demonstration for today, and that would be Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 16. This would include all angels, not just fallen ones. It says in verse 16, such a great text, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. I don't know of a Bible scholar who doesn't think he's including the angelic realm here. They all do. Invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's very much sovereignty. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So we could use that text to talk about sovereignty in a broader sense. I'm just using it right now in here as a New Testament text to say including the dominions, the invisible dominions, angelic realm. Okay, finally, in the animal realm, we're going, to, we're going to look at Matthew 10 and then Daniel chapter 6 and Psalm 104. He's sovereign over the animal kingdom, maybe we should say, because we're talking about the, the animal realm of sovereignty. And this actually gets us to our application a little bit by way of preview. So, But you might be thinking, what does this have to do with my life? Well, the most important thing, that you would not think that you're the center of the universe and that you're not sovereign and there's someone freer than you and his name is God. He's free to do whatever he wants to do. He's not looking for us to vote on it. He's not looking for our approval. He's not looking for a show of hands. He's the undomesticated, unmanageable God who does whatever he wants to do and we're accountable to him. That's how it affects your life. It should lead to being uncomfortable, but hopefully if you trust in his son who he says you should listen to and he's sovereign, so you should who provides salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation. If you trust in Him, you can move from the place of utter uncomfortability to growing into understanding and seeing this is actually the place of comfort and encouragement. It's the place of spiritual sanity is where it is. But it's also the place, as we're going to see, to help help you deal with your problems of anxiety and worry, even as Christians. That's sort of for next time, but I can't help myself as we look at this next section. So it's also demonstrated in the animal realm. None of us are animals, um, but this relates to us. Matthew chapter 10, familiar words, really important, has to do with our living. It says in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Maybe why my dad said you can't shoot any birds with your BB gun except sparrows. I don't know. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Implied answer is yes. And not one of them. So notice what Jesus does. He takes, he cuts it in half. So we have a a essentially worthless bird, but now we're going to go half and just, it's not two of them, it's just one of them. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So we can explain it through human means, brat, snot-nosed, 12-year-old Pat with his daisy BB gun, 
shoots the sparrow and it falls to the ground. And then Pat feels bad. Why did I do that? But anyway, thank you for counseling me. Accountable for my actions, but the reality is there, there, there's a sovereign God behind the whole thing. No matter how it happens, there's someone who's behind the happening and he's God. And the point Jesus is making here, and I'm, I'm getting ahead, if he's your father, why are you worried? He's not saying nothing bad can happen to you. He's saying God is sovereign. And if he's your father, then anything that would happen to you, even something that would be bad, is actually according to a good and greater sovereign purpose. Jesus believes in the sovereignty of God. And he uses it in the lives of people like us to to reason. He's in charge of the animal realm, and they're just sparrows. Christian worldview, they're, they're not as important as you are. I know it's not what you may have heard somewhere else. They're not as important as you are. Why are you afraid? Well, because something bad might happen. You know what? Something bad might happen. But God cares. He's your father. Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. You know the account. It's Daniel in the lion's den. But I'm not going to give you the G version or the PG version. I'm going to give you the PG-13 version. Lesser churches would only give you the G version or the PG version. I'm going to give you the PG-13 version. So we might take an offering at the end of the service. Or not. You should listen to this. My God, Daniel 6.22, My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouths. That's enough for us to go. Sovereignty. My God sent His messenger, His angel, and shut the lion's mouths. He did it. He wired their mouths shut with no wire. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. That's sovereignty. But not only that, it wasn't that the animals had just gotten fed. Oh, well, you know, according to one scholar I read, the animals were satisfied. And so they just, you know, laid down, took a nap because that's what cats do. And uh, it's no wonder they didn't harm Daniel. (sighs) Isn't liberal theology great? People pay money to learn this kind of stuff, by the way. It's amazing. Well, I'm one of those dads who played the VeggieTales VHS tapes for their kids and then sat them down and helped them to understand that there's a PG-13 version. Night, night. (laughs) Listen to what it goes on to say. (laughs) Chapter 6, verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Veggie tails, veggie tails, veggie tails, veggie tails. <laughs> they didn't need Daniel, not because they weren't hungry. It's because God is sovereign and had his messenger close their mouths. And when someone else showed up, they were showing themselves to be very hungry and their kids and their wives. Night, night. Troubling. Very troubling. You know why my kids are in counseling now and why I am as well. 
Oh, we're going to have a little fun along the way. I should, before we move on to the last one, say that the lions could have eaten Daniel and his friends and God still would have been sovereign. Daniel and his friends didn't live forever. It wasn't that they didn't experience pain and suffering, but according to God's sovereign purposes, it wasn't their time yet. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. Psalm 104, speaking of lions, Psalm 104, 21, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God who fed them in the lion's den. Okay, I added that part. But the point of the psalmist is even the animal kingdom understands the sovereignty of God, maybe better than we do sometimes. Because ultimately, who feeds them? Even if he feeds them through the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, God does. So we should know that. We should learn from that. Well, the next one, Maybe we can skip next week because it has no relevance. Um, sovereignty demonstrated in national affairs. Some of you didn't quite get that. But it definitely has relevance. And we will see next time. The next point on the list of 10 is God is sovereign in national affairs. God is in charge, God is in control, and nothing is happening, even in the United States of America, though people may be morally culpable for their actions, and they are. But those who are in charge of our country right now are not in charge because of bad luck. God is the one who installs authorities, and God is the one who takes them down for His purposes that we don't always understand. But you shouldn't be worrying about God not being in control. More to be said about that next week. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for serious matters. Thank you for not so serious matters. We know that you are sovereign. We're thankful to know this. Uh, Lord, may we be agents of change in the world and even in the church, that we would be men and women and boys and girls who would acknowledge that there is only one true sovereign, the free God who does what he chooses according to his own purposes and that we would trust in Him, that we would worship Him, that we would not be filled and controlled by utter anxiety about circumstances. May that be so in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.